now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Andy Shorten. And I'm Steffi Barnett on today's show. Uh, Laura Wyatt O'Keefe, I hope I said that right. Uh, I think you did. <laughs> um, yes, we're talking about Drag Kings and Margate Pride. Uh, also, what was it like at the Stonewall Riots? I talked to Mark Segal, who was actually there. Um, and I would say Brist- Brigstow are here, but it's actually Bristol Uni are here. Uh, they're live in the studio. We'll be talking to them any minute now. Um, that and much, much more today, right here on Shout Out. <laughs> I haven't got, I haven't got Lara here, have I? <laughs> no, we obviously got the background yeah. for us. Yeah, we, we, we got a few more in the studio than normal. It's nice. So. So. Yeah, and we haven't got time for chatting at all. No, I know this is like. I, I, don't think, I don't think stuff. we've done a show this packed in a long time. No, it's um, super packed. Yeah, it's a, a, bit like, yeah. a bit like trying to do a Bristol Pride in like an hour with the <laughs> number of things we got going on. So, yeah. um, to the point, we've actually already got two guests in the studio with us. I'm very um, uh, pleased to say a very warm welcome to uh, Aaron and Robin from Bristol Uni, isn't it? Ah, yes, yeah. Um, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, Thank welcome, you. shout out. Thanks for having us. Um, now, I had it down on our notes. We were talking to Briggs. I got that wrong because it is Brigstow, but it's you. It's some. It's a kind of um, together, isn't it? Yeah, um, so we're working in partnership. Yeah, partnership. Um, thank yeah, you. Right, That's yeah. what I was looking for. <laughs> so, um, give us an idea. What, what are we talking to you about today? Um, so, we're here to talk about our trans and non-binary mentoring program. Um, it's a new program in which we are launching this uh, September and October. Um, as I said, in partnership with Peer Partnership or Brigstow um, at the University of Bristol. Marvelous. I mean, I'm going to play the devil's advocate and ask, uh, why, why do we need one? Yeah. Uh, Robin, I do you want to take that on? Um, well, there are very specific problems and challenges that students at our university face um, at universities across the country. Um, trans students are more likely to drop out of university, more likely to um, experience verbal or physical abuse at university, um, as well as just sort of administerial challenges, trying to get through um, changing your name at uni, you know, going through any social or um, medical transitions at uni can be quite challenging. So having someone in the community or even a fellow trans student um, helping them is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a... I mean, we've covered a lot of the trans issues recently. It's been all over the press. And, of course, um, you know, we, we know the politicians making a huge big deal out of it. Um, me, me and Steph are talking uh, with the BBC the other day about how politicised it's become as well, you know. So, I mean, is it something you've seen a lot of at, at uni, the, the effect it's having on uh, some of you, like, um, fellow... Uh, trans um, students. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so the University of Bristol um, Students Union um, recently did a wellbeing survey in which um, kind of trans and non-binary students, especially, were identified as needing more support to help them to kind of navigate, I suppose, not the challenges from just being a student, but also just being a trans person in the UK. And I think that's part of the impact that we want to have with this program is to be able to provide more information uh, with regards to that support and services that are available not only at the university but also within the community in Bristol and hopefully having access to someone with that lived experience can help them work through challenges and improve their well-being and hopefully just increase their resilience and self-management to cope with those challenges um, both educationally and also in their personal lives. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully had, um, enjoy student life too. Right, right, I mean, that's exactly, the whole yeah. point of uni, yeah. isn't it? And Indeed. help them thrive. Yeah. yeah, right. Now we had Sean on from Brigstow who yes. launched this programme. Now where are you up to now? Um, so we're currently recruiting mentors. Um, so that's kind of where we are currently at. Um, we um, are, yeah, we're kind of currently at the recruitment phase. 
Are they are they are they working for the uni or some of them students themselves or? Um, so we're currently recruiting from the local kind of Bristol community. Um, right. If students themselves want to be mentors as well, that then they can. But we are targeting members of the Bristol community um, to kind of act as mentors for our trans and binary students. And so, uh, now we we obviously we go out on quite a region all, all the way over in Ireland and and here as well. Is this unique to Bristol? Do you know? Is it going anywhere else, or are you reaching out further than just Bristol? Or <laughs> is it too early to say? at the moment well i think it is it is a program that we haven't heard of um across the country so it is something that is quite unique um at the moment anyway to kind of the peer partnership i.e brigstow and um at the university of bristol but hopefully if this model goes well um and we get kind of good results from that and we see that it's improving the, the you know the kind of lives of trans and binary students and as we said helping them to thrive then i think hopefully this could be something that we take forward to other kind of universities as mm. well so, so what, what's the plan if i am if i am trans and i'm coming to university or i suspect i might be trans because i'm assuming it's not just once you've been through it it's the whole right. kind of yeah. helping them with it in the first place i mean what what kind of thing can i expect if i reach out to you you know but what would my experience be like with you i guess right so yeah if you're a trans student or you know questioning um you can go to our website and there's a application form it's very short just to say you know who are, who you are like your preferences in terms of like would you prefer um a mentor that has the same identity as you or, or not um and then you'd meet with a member of the student inclusion team so that's oh god <laughs> not on a radio before making a um, You'd meet with a member of the student inclusion team, so that's our team at the university, just for an informal chat to find out more about the situation. And then once we've met with the student, um, in person or online, um, then they'll be matched with one of the mentors. So it's um, quite a tailored service. So right. um, you're not just sent off with a random trans person has nothing, you know, nothing in common with you. We, in the same as our other peer mentoring schemes at Bristol, we try and. Yeah, that, each other. Uh, people do find it a little bit difficult sometimes i mean come, coming forward to to, yeah. to to get help i mean if, if someone's listening you're thinking oh actually that 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 might be something yeah. that i would quite like but i'm a little bit scared i mean what, what kind of advice would you give them um i'd say that the the team at bristol are very friendly um yeah. myself and aaron you know we're, we're queer people on our team um you know it's not it's not going to be a room of straight people that you're walking into to talk about your um, your situation. Um, and yeah, we, we have a lot of other peer programs at Bristol that are really successful. Um, you're not being thrown in at the deep end. We have a lot of structures in place. Um, yeah. And, and what is it? Is it like a, you meet regularly with your mentor or is it what... Yeah, yeah. Catered so, to what you need, or right? Yeah. So the kind of mentor themselves will meet with the mentee kind of up to one hour a week. Um, you know, in which they can kind of talk about kind of a variety of different things that their mentor can kind of help and support them with and I think just generally um, you know I've been involved in peer support um, since t- t- 2017 at the University of Bristol and as an agenda person myself as well it, it's really exciting to see two of my kind of personal interests or my personal identity and my kind of professional um, kind of career kind of, kind of intertwine in this because there's so many benefits of peer support and you know we're just really excited to kind of help students to kind of feel that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, like, like I said, we, we've seen so much on the news at the moment, and it's, you know, it's a real hot topic. I mean, for us, it's been a hot topic for 13 years since right. we started <laughs> yeah. the show before it was as well known as it is. So, but it's great uh-huh. to see these things coming along, especially with like all the stuff that's going on in the media and, and mm-hmm. the like. You know, it's brilliant to know that people can reach out. So, listen, um, I, we could talk to you about this, I'm sure, right. for, for, for another hour. I hope I've got most of the points across. But the biggest one, of course, is 
if people want to find out more i know you're in the recruitment phase but are you at a point where they can reach out to you at the moment and get some um, help or at least get on the list for it are you, are you that far down the line yes yeah yeah so we currently um, are recruiting as we said so there's just a short application form that goes along with that uh, just explaining why you're interested in the skills and experience that you'll bring a short interview which sounds quite daunting but it's just a discussion with myself and my colleague um, just like an informal discussion to learn more about you um, some training that you'll go through in which you'll learn lots of different skills this is to be a mentor isn't yeah it? yeah right. right yeah yeah and then and then we'll kind of start the mentoring kind of process in kind of September October time okay is, cool. is this so, voluntary Yes, yeah, yeah. So kind of based on the kind of peer partnership model, so kind of obviously we're working with Brigstow, um, all of their mentoring is kind of um, is voluntary mentoring and that comes from kind of focus groups that they've run with mentees and mentors and so that's the model that we're kind of currently working with and on um, but we're, you know, we can review that kind of as, you know, kind of as the year progresses. Cool. And then when the students start in September, I presume the aim is to be there ready for... Right, yeah. them as and when they need the help. Yes, yeah, cool. yeah, no, right. Gosh, exactly. Haven't got long, have you? Begin- beginning of August already. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing how time flies, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one thing is that the deadline is next Tuesday, the 9th of August, at basically midnight. So any time on Tuesday that people want to get their applications in um, for, for being a mentor. For, for being, being a mentor, right. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. if you've got some spare time and you'd like to help out, um, I'm sure, sure these two and the rest of the extended team would uh, really appreciate it. So um, where do they need to go if they want to? want to want to register and send some info well there's a page on the university website there'll be some social media posts from um people here at shout out and also the university should be putting some stuff out too um if you just google um trans and non-binary peer mentoring bristol because we're one of the only schemes out there we're very much the top result um so if you if you just google it it should come up straight away and then you can apply through the form on the website there yeah. Cool, brilliant. Well, listen, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank um, you I'm much. sorry, Thank you so we, we'll have to get you back when it's a bit more established as well, and you can yeah. like, let us know yeah, how it's going and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, that'd be great. Too, Thank so. you. Uh, but for now, thank you very much to uh, Aaron and Robin. We're going to move straight on. Uh, we'll be back in a minute, and uh, we're going to be talking to Laura. Stay with us. You're listening to Shout Out. <laughs> Shout Out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Right, as everyone knows... Um, Pride month has long gone, but that's more of a US thing because here in the UK, we just don't stop. We do it all year. And Margate Pride is coming up this August. And I have Laura Wyatt O'Keefe with me at the moment. And you're doing something very, very special with Sea Wall. Laura, welcome to Shout Out. Thank you so much for having me. It's okay. You're very, very welcome. So tell me a bit um, how you got involved with this and what gave you the uh, the idea. Um, so uh, Seawall is a play that I read about 10 years ago, and it's uh, one of those plays, or, you know, sometimes it happens with a book or a movie, a song. that's kind of lived in my head and my heart, and I've kind of carried around with me um, over the years and kind of returned to often, Um and then I was due to, I had a show, a play that was due to go on tour. Um, I was going to go on a big tour in March 2020. And of course, we went into lockdown on the Friday that we were due to fly to Northern Ireland. Um, and the director of that so, a show, Sophie Drake, um, who's the director of Seawall, uh, we were due to go out on tour and everything, of course, we, you know, um, everything was cancelled. Uh, we went into the lockdown and she contacted me maybe a month in and said, can we please do something? Can we do something over Zoom? It was now Zoom is very um, 
we all use it for everything but at the time it was very new technology she said let's do something over zoom can we read something um and i said well there's this play called seawall um by simon stevens it was performed by andrew scott who is an irish actor who's known for sherlock and fleabag and uh i said i love the play i think it would be amazing in the female voice can we try it and we read it and it's a credit to the writing that nothing needed to change like we didn't need to make any edits really and borrow a couple of pronouns the um the play existed really really well um as you know a same sex marriage having a child this alex became a female character and it just it was just beautiful and you know one of those moments where you go oh this really works and so we sent a clip of me reading it to the playwright simon and he was really enthusiastic and encouraging and said um i didn't think it would work so well and it does and it's revealed things in my play i haven't seen before like please get in touch with my agents and see if it's available so we started that conversation got all excited about perhaps doing a london run and then we went into a second lockdown so everything again got shelved and um and then kind of last year uh, we started chatting about it again and i said why don't we do it for margate pride and moving to margate at the end of the month and i said why don't we do it in margate pride there's this incredible building called the turner contemporary and there's these rooms where essentially the whole back wall is sea and and obviously the sea wall is a massive kind of theme and image that goes throughout the play so i said why don't we do it there and and let's do it at sunset and let's have the tickets free and um and it just has been one of those projects that you know with kind of divine timing everyone has said yes and everyone has been available and everyone has been encouraging and it's going to happen you know something that we spoke about over zoom uh, nearly 2 years ago is i, I can't believe it that we're, yeah, we're here sounds sounds really exciting the fact you're doing it for free as well Laura that's fan, fantastic now if i can can we go back through your past how did you get into this you know was it as soon as when you were growing up you're always attracted to theater and the like um so my aunt is a director and a writer and um, I come from a place called Cork in Ireland that's like a super artistic and creative um they call it the second city <laughs> or the second county um Dublin is the capital of Ireland as lots of people know but Cork very much feels they are the capital yeah there's a really beautiful kind of energy to the city um and my aunt was a is a director and a playwright and kind of I suppose um being sent out of the house you know by my mum and kind of being a really big bubbly um energetic child went to drama classes from a really young age um and just was really lucky that I had a really supportive family that um you know anything I wanted to do and um I like my mum is a ceramicist and my uncle is a painter so it was always very important and valued art and it was always seen as a possible career so I kind of went through the years of of doing performing and then when I was about 17 18 I started to write plays um and then came away to London to do a masters in performance and then it's that thing of um you know i think everyone imagines a red carpet and that you're you're going to have this massively successful career and be a star and the reality of paying your rent and you know staying creative and keeping yourself going um is quite different so i've um written quite a bit i've produced my own work i've had plays that have gone on tour i make work internationally i work with universities um i'm a drag artist i was just at latitude at the weekend uh, oh are you you do drag so are you a drag king Is yes, that how you I'm, identify? 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm a drag queen for the JC, who's um, an Irish Catholic priest um, who loves everyone and thinks everyone's fabulous and kind of just shows up. And okay, says, now tell me more about this. This is very intriguing. <laughs> so I started, I kind I saw a friend of mine win a drag king competition and was like, oh my God, I need to do this. And, um, and then found a course through Soho Theatre, have met some of like the best friends of my life ever and have only been doing drag like maybe seven, eight months. And mm. yet on last Saturday night at Latitude, I did a mini sermon to 5,000 people at the Guilty Pleasures set, um, which is this amazing uh, DJ. And yeah, opened up in my little red a sermon around um, how we were going to have the best nights of our lives. <laughs> um, and also did a gig on the Friday at Outpost with a drag artist called Anthony. And again, did um, a, a, an Irish, did the first queer production of Riverdance, where um, Father JC teaches everyone how to do Irish dancing and everyone gets to have their Irish dancing moment. Um, and that is just like super joyful and wonderful. And you kind of, I kind of spent the weekend pinching myself being like, I can't believe I get to do this and I can't believe I'm having so much fun and someone's paying me to have all this fun and I'm with all these amazing people and my heart kind of felt like it was just going to burst the whole weekend um so yeah I found drag to be like really incredible in terms of um like the exploring the kind of the tension of what it is to be an Irish ex-Catholic queer woman and um and where all of that lies and kind of um I often say that in Ireland we're not just religious we're kind of culturally religious it's a very big part of our upbringing we're kind of biologically religious um and and so it's trying to figure out how to be yourself within all of that and enjoying those traditions but not believing in you know the absolute like chaos and persecution that religion can cause but also it being a massive family and kind of spiritual. And so, yeah, so that's how um, I started exploring dragon has become incredibly silly <laughs> and ridiculous. And my wardrobe has expanded. Um, oh, every wow. <laughs> that's so exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, really. I, li- I love that statement, biologically uh, religious. <laughs> that's brilliant. That just sums up, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Laura, we're fast running out of time. So before we go, mm-hmm. let everyone know, I guess you've got um, Drag King socials and <laughs> your own websites, etc. Just throw it at the listeners. Um, so my website is uh, the, the letters of my full name. So it's www.lwok.co.uk. And then my Instagram is uh, Laura Wyatt O'Keefe, my full name. And then my drag Instagram is at for the JC. And um, if you want any more information about Seawall, it's part of a much bigger um, project called the Margate Pride Art Trail. So there's over a week worth of free work, incredible, like everything from films to exhibitions. It's incredibly um, well curated. So if you want any more information on that, that's on the Margate Pride website as well. So do come down and do do all of the things. Um, yeah, there's something for everyone. It's a really beautiful programme. Laura, thank you so much for joining Shout Out and uh, I guess break a leg. Thank you so much, Ezra. Have a lovely day. And you.
Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. A bit of um, George Ezra. Green Green Grass. When I saw that title, I thought it was going to be Tom Jones. All right. No. No. Um, it's not one of his most liked songs because it's quite repetitive, but I really like it. George Ezra, repetitive, but <laughs> really hated it. <laughs> anyway, um, just let Ezra finish taking her selfie. I don't know what... what, what. <laughs> Listeners, see, there's no cameras, so therefore no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> you, you only um, have my, my word to go on. Anyway, I'm going to keep, keep, keep this moon on because we've got so much still to cover this Led show. show, <laughs> show. Uh, We're ready. Ready. This is Shout Out News on Thursday, the 4th of August. Bristol's library services come out fighting after a small gaggle of homophobic protesters picketed a library in the Henleys area of the city, which was due to host a family-friendly reading session by drag queen icon Ada HD. The BBC reported that taking their cue from the known neo-Nazis who stormed a similar event in Reading on the previous Monday, the protesters claimed that drag queens were surreptitiously grooming children with stories. The library service responded that it was nonsense and were backed by a live live counter-protest in favour of the event, which B247 newspaper reported quickly dwarfed the extremist right-wingers. Bristol Against Hate issued a statement saying, We are concerned that groups are spreading bigotry and hatred in our communities, and we would like to express our support for Drag Queen Story Hour coming to Bristol's libraries. Drag Queen performers... Performance hours are age-appropriate, featuring fun costumes, silly voices and children's stories. Like all children's entertainers, the DQSH performers are DBS-checked. Analysts who monitor the activities of far-right wingers have noted that after the electoral collapse of such groups as the British National Party, the extreme right has turned to street-based violence and trying to directly intimidate its opponents. The murder of MP Joe Cox, harassment of trade union bookstores, abusive threats to African-Caribbean businesses and threats to Islamic centres are, they report, all part of the same phenomenon, along with the attacks on Ada HD. For people wanting to understand more about the threat to democracy from extreme groups, there are numerous resources, including the magazine Searchlight, the network Hope Not Hate and local anti-fascist organisations. Bristol Sex Workers Collective have said that they are screaming and crying with joy after Bristol City Council voted against closing down the licensed adult entertainment venues in the city. The collective, which is affiliated to the UVW Grassroots Trade Union, said that the battle to keep the venues open and women in work had been a, quote, two-year-long slog against forces with far more institutional power. The City Council voted by nine to one against the closure of the venue. News. Bristol Women's Voice said that they were disappointed by the news, but other feminist groups said that it was time for the different sides in the debate to work together to ensure that women were safe in all contexts and that the real enemy was heteropatriarchy. The charity Transmedia Watch, which monitors Britain's biased right-wing tabloids for their misinformation and outlandish claims about trans people, amongst many other targeted groups, reports that it has made a formal complaint to the Market Research Society about a poll conducted in the week leading up to the 20th of July by YouGov. 
Despite pollsters not being allowed to lobby for political purposes, YouGov are alleged to have made several misleading claims in their questioning, including asking about gender reassignment surgery for under-18s. No trans organisation advocates this and no NHS or private clinic offers such operations. The inclusion of questions about this are therefore felt by many to be manipulative and misleading. Now, BBC Points West reported some needed good news on Saturday, namely that the much-loved Queen Shilling in Bristol, now the city's longest-running specifically LGBTQIA plus venue, was turning 30, and its current proprietor, Paul Studley, is looking to the future by taking out a longer lease. Back in 1992, you couldn't be openly gay in most venues without getting a thump, and I wanted to support the community, so I ran it like my extended lounge, said founder Kevin Martin. Mr Studley noted that the venue remains in heavy use as a fundraising and socialising venue for LGBTQIA plus groups and sports teams and remarked that the simple door policy continued to work, that is, no racists and no homophobes. He went on, a lot of our customers would suffer without us. We even have a 70-year-old gentleman who comes in every Monday to join in with the karaoke. Shoutouts team wishes the Queen Shilling every success for the future and celebrates with love and pride the 30th anniversary of this community institution. Gay actor George Dakai, best known for playing Mr Sulu in the original series of Star Trek, led the tributes to Nichelle Nichols, who portrayed Lieutenant Nyota Uhuru in the same series. Miss Nichols has passed on at the age of 89. George said, I shall have more to say about the trailblazing, incomparable Nichelle Nichols, who shared the bridge with us at LT Uhura of the USS Enterprise and who passed today at age 89. For today, my heart is heavy, my eyes shining like the stars. You now rest among my dearest friend, Star Trek's founder, Jean Roddenberry, included Lieutenant Uhuru as a black woman in a position of authority, which was a strong political message in 1966 when the series started. Mr Roddenberry also advocated having LGBTQI plus people in his show and after some reluctance from studios, this has now become a reality as well for these news stories and many more we update our website every day please visit shoutoutradio.lgbt for shoutout news this has been Ezra Peregrine and Terry Starr shoutout news national and international LGBT news for you Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Uh, that's the lovely uh, Jamie Jamal, who we've um, we featured on here before a few times, haven't we? Yeah, that's I've interviewed him as well at Western mm. Pride. Yeah, so um, that's his new song, Shake It Naked, which I think um, is coming out rather soon, isn't it? So It is, yes. Uh, anyway, what was it like at um, uh, Stonewall? Yeah, I know. What an eye-opener from mm. Mark Segal because he was there, mm. and he got arrested, and he fought, and then he was there starting up the liberation front. It's it? thanks to Cher of Medway Pride. We need to thank her oh. for um, passing Mark our way. Right. When we all look back at the LGBTQ history, one of the moments that stands up amongst the crowd is the Stonewall Riots. And uh, one of the 
people that was front and center right there, right then, is Mark Segal. Mark, welcome to Shoutout. Hello, Shoutout. Right now, before we get into um, Stonewall, let's go back to Philadelphia, where you grew up. What was that like for you as a, a young gay lad? So I was born in the year 1951. And if you do your math, you'll notice that uh, I'm now 71, a, a cheerful 71. Uh, but when I was uh, growing up, uh, between the ages, I'd say, of nine and 12, I began to realize who I was. And I wasn't a very happy person because I wanted to learn who I was. But there was a slight problem with that. You see, in 1959, uh, it, you couldn't find gay or homosexual anywhere. It was literally illegal to write about it in a newspaper. It was illegal to talk about it on the radio. It was illegal and immoral to put it on television. You had not one gay person as a openly uh, uh, broadcaster. You had no one who was a role model. Uh, we were nowhere. Uh, if you wanted to find out who you were, you might go to a library. Remember, there was no cable television. There was no internet. Books, television, and radio magazines was the only media that existed. So if you wanted to learn who you were, you would go to a library. If, and many times they didn't, a library had a book about who you were, it was hidden in the library. You might find it on a shelf somewhere, and it was always in the scientific section. And then when you would read what a homosexual was, you would find out that we were immoral, illegal, and absolutely medically insane. Now, I didn't think I was any of those people. I personally, for whatever reason, felt that I was a good person. And at nine to 12 years old, what walls did I break? Um, why was I immoral and insane? The, this all, see, I seemed to be a happy, adjusted child. Um, I didn't understand it. Um, and then as you get a little older, uh, you know, you occasionally hear that I occasionally heard the words not referred to me often, but to others as faggot, fairy, and other choice words, of course. Um, and so I got to realize very obviously that it wasn't good in this world to be let people know who you were. And being that lonely in a city of one million people, I thought I was the only one. Well, Philadelphia can't be classed as a village, so you were uh, you were definitely not the only gay in the village with one million people in Philadelphia. When did you decide that you were going to fight for yourself and fight for others? Well, at first, my only uh, idea was to not be lonely because I, as I got a little older, I started thinking, you know, I'd like to find a guy and settle down. Uh, I don't think my thoughts of what life in the future would be were any different than, I mean, what do you call them? I think they're called heterosexuals and what they wanted in their lives. Um, so, but I wanted it with another guy. Uh, and I couldn't find that in Philadelphia, but I knew there was this place in New York called Greenwich Village. And there were all types of strange people. There were bohemians and hippies. And that said to me, well, there might be gay people there. So, uh, a month before my high school graduation on May 10th, 1969, um, I moved to New York. No money, no job, no school, um, no place to live, but I moved to New York. Uh, and I soon found out that uh, 
if you go to the village, uh, get up from the subway and start looking for gay people, because there were no signs saying, you know, this village is gay people. <laughs> uh, uh, I found uh, Christopher Street. And as soon as I found Christopher Street, somehow I knew that was the place I wanted to be. The people seemed like me somehow. I didn't understand how yet. Um, but over the next few nights, um, I started hanging out every night as an 18 year old, you know, from maybe six to eight at night until two, three in the morning on Christopher Street. And what that meant for me was uh, finding friends, like minded friends, walking up down the street, talking about fashion, you know, what movies there were, TV, just like any other 18 year old. But at the late night, at the end of the night, what did you do? You wanted to dance if you were 18 years old. And I wanted to dance my ass off. And there was only one place where you could do that. And that was a illegal dive of a bar called Stonewall. And so you would go in the Stonewall and there you could kiss, you could hold hand, you could cuddle and you could dance. All things that if you did outside the doors, you would be arrested for because all of it, all of it was illegal at that time. Yeah. Were you aware of the mafia connection to Stonewall Bar? At no, time? I didn't learn that until years later. Okay. Okay. So how did you get uh, involved with the fight? Well, uh, again, I'd only been in New York for six weeks. Uh, I looked like the kid next door. I didn't look like a good deal of the other people. Um, and the bar clientele was primarily what today we would say trans people. That back then, they were drag queens. Um, they were street kids like me. Um, and uh, the more upscale uh, gay people who wanted to see the cute kids like me. I was cute once. Uh, and uh, uh, or they might want to you know, be entertained by the drag queens, what have you. Uh, so standing in the back of the bar, all of a sudden the lights blink on and off. Um, and I'd never seen that before. And so I asked the person next to me what was happening. And they said, oh, just a rain. And they said it very casually. I said, what does that mean? They said, oh, the police will come in, they'll take some money and they'll leave. Because it was an illegal mafia bar. And that's what the deal was, um, but this time was very different. This time they burst into the bar, breaking the doors down. They started smashing up whatever they could smash up, which included the bar, bottles, um, you name it. Uh, but what I saw that was frightening to me was they took people, banged them up against the wall, um, roughed them, a few people up a little, um, uh, called us every name under the sun you could possibly imagine. Um, the drag queens took more of it. Uh, drag queens than anybody who's stereotyped took the most of that anger. Uh, and they would uh, extort money from those who looked like they had money. And the thought in my head standing there was, uh, maybe I should call the police. And then I realized these are the police. Yeah. How worthless are we? What does society think of us? Um, it was a sad moment, I would say. Um, and then eventually they began to card us and let us out when they'd done every damage that they wanted to do. Uh, they were totally in control to do anything they wanted. Uh, once we got out on the street, uh, let's see, the people who were the uh, society people or the wealthy people or the well-employed or had people who family in the, in the area, they all ran away. Those of us who were new to New York, those of us who were street kids, those of us who were 
trans or people of color who didn't have much to lose, we all hung around. Um, soon the cops wanted to leave. They opened the door and people in the crowd started throwing things. They threw uh, whatever was in their pockets, coins, whatever they could pick up from the street, which might be an empty uh, beer can. Um, there, there's an old myth that a brick was thrown. There was no brick thrown. Um, it was little things primarily. Uh, and the second time they came out, uh, people started hurling insults at the police and the police started saying, yeah, we're going to club you. And someone would say, yeah, you and your wife or you and your husband. Um, it was somewhat joking at times. Uh, third time they got a little angry. And it was at that point uh, that I thought to myself, uh, isn't this kind of interesting? Uh, for all these years, the police have incarcerated us. And at this very moment, we're incarcerating the police. Well, imagine the embarrassment when they had to call their station to ask for reinforcements and say, um, excuse me, those fairies outside have us captured. <laughs> that must have been the most embarrassing call Indeed. that uh, possibly could, could happen. At about that time, um, I, I'm watching all this and somewhere in my brain and I uh, describe it, and I'm sure it happened in an instant of the time, and I'm not sure it happened the way I, I pronounce it now, but I said to myself, you know, this is the height of the, so, uh, of the cultural revolution, 1969. Women are fighting for their rights. Blacks are fighting for their rights. Latinos are fighting for their rights. What about us? And um, I said, I now had a purpose in life. I never had a purpose. That was going to be my life. And uh, I then start, started thinking, what does that mean? Well, activists or whatever we were going to be called didn't get paid. So I thought I'd end up on the streets when I was old, but I didn't care. I really didn't care. There was something burning in me, um, and I, I don't know what that was. At the same time, a friend that I met walking up and down the streets, Marty Robinson, came up to me and handed me chalk. And he said, I want you to go up. He saw this as an opportune moment. And I think he should be recognized for that. Uh, he gave me a chalk and said, go up and down the street and write tomorrow night Stonewall on the streets and on the buildings. That created the second night of Stonewall. Um, and on that second night, Marty and Martha Shelley spoke from the burnout doors of Stonewall. That was revolutionary. It was illegal for us to congregate. It was illegal for us to talk about organizing homosexuals. Um, guess what? Um, the police reacted, but my memory of that is different than others, I must say. Um, I think they were sort of shocked and surprised by it. Others say later on in the night they reacted in a violent way. I didn't see that. Um, anybody who said they see everything at Stonewall, obviously wasn't there because Stonewall wasn't one block. It went from Stonewall all the way down to the docks. Um, so, and nobody was there the entire time. So uh, those are the people I wonder about. Anybody who's in GLF um, and say they were there most likely was because from the ashes of Stonewall came Gay Liberation Front. We carried on that torch. Um, we were there the second night and we were there every night after. And what most people are not aware of that on one month after Stonewall, uh, Gay Liberation Front organized the first March demonstration, which was from Washington Square to Stonewall, uh, July 27th, 1969. And there were a couple hundred of us who did that march.
Um, and that's the first picture where I'm pictured in, um, which I didn't know existed when I wrote my book in 1969. What was it like being at the forefront of starting up something like the Gay Liberation Front? How quickly did that spread across the United States? Much quicker than we had ever expected. Uh, we did not know. Uh, it was on the job learning. No one knew what we were doing. And we as an organization were, to this day, I would consider the most dysfunctional organization that has ever existed. Um, if you went into one of our meetings, a stick was thrown in the air. Whoever caught the stick was the chairperson that night. Um, there were no standing committees, but we had some missions that we didn't know were missions at that time. Our first mission was well, let's define ourselves. Society has defined us as that. We're not that. So let us define ourselves. You know, and also while we're defining ourselves, look around the room. We're different types of people. Everybody has a, a different way they would have their own identity. Let them have that identity and let us respect that. I mean, there were people in the room that at that time uh, that you would know well know now. Uh, Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, um, and they identified as drag queens. We're going to respect that. They could be in our room. The few organizations that existed before us wouldn't accept them because they were drag queens. They wouldn't accept me because I was a young gay man. We were going to be inclusive and diversified. That was one thing we were going to be. We were also not going to just say, oh, please give us our rights. We were going to demand our rights. We weren't only going to demand our rights. We were going to be out, proud, and loud. And we were going to do it not just in our gay village, but everywhere we went. And we weren't going to allow those to oppress us to continue to oppress us. And that included the media. That included the police, that included anybody who went up against us. All of that was illegal. So from that very first uh, second night of Stonewall, we were out every night doing legal leaflets, medical leaflets, warnings, social leaflets, organizing meetings, um, creating the first gay youth organization in America, creating the first trans organization in America, um, creating the first uh, gay lesbian uh, community center. We not only did self-identification, we also did creating a community where there was no community before. Um, before Gay Liberation Front, you could describe a gay community as fourfold. Um, those small little organizations that existed in maybe 10 cities in America had no more than 10 people out, meaning 100 out people in America. Um, you get private parties. You can only party in someone's apartment or home. Cruising areas. And that was it. That was the extent of gay community in America. We said, no, that wasn't going to happen. We were going to be public on our streets. We were going to have parties that we were going to advertise. We were going to advertise our meetings in newspapers. All of that, every bit of it was illegal. And we told the, the cops to basically blag off. Um, How many times do you think you've been arrested, Mark? Um, I've been arrested probably a dozen times. And in my book, I'll plug my book here. You can. Uh, yeah. Um, this is my my book uh, right down yeah. there. And then I dance. And the reason it's titled that, that, that is me being arrested. Ah, um, okay. Yes. And if you ask for my first arrest, I can actually show you. 
This is the receipt of my first arrest. Wow. Wow, incredible. Uh, oh, by the way, I said I looked like the boy next door. That's what I looked like at 18. Yeah, boy next door. Yeah, yeah. So um, is it widely available, your book, All Out Loud? Uh, I believe in, in this country you could get it. Gay is the word. They've just ordered it. And okay. also Amazon. Ah, okay. Okay. So as long as people know where to get it. Are you on social media? Have you got a website, Mark? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, it is uh, Mark, one word, Mark Sigal, Stonewall. Uh, dot com. Uh, and I also uh, have a newspaper, which my husband, Jason Villamez, is the editor. And that is WWE, like electronic, P as in Philadelphia, G as in George, and as in news dot com. So um, it's www.epgn.com. Um, Right. So my advice, listeners, is you rush out and get that book because you've just been listening to somebody who was actually at the Stonewall riots. Mark Segal, thank you for joining Shout Out. It's been an absolute pleasure. You are wonderful. And thank you for having me. For more information about Shout Out Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout Out. LGBT radio for you. There you go. Well, that was a bit of interesting, a wasn't it? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting and um, great that he came over to. Um, Bless him. I, I do like it. I do like it at the end though. He's, he's showing you a load of paperwork. You did tell him it was radio, didn't you? He knew it was radio. Yeah, but I, I mean, love that because I've been doing yeah. this for about thirty-five years or something on night radio, and um, I still think people can see what I'm saying, and they can't apparently. <laughs> well, some stations have magic microphones where you can hold. Yeah, things and some up podcasts, yeah, do have cameras in that. They but, do. But yes. <laughs> It was a fantastic interview. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and, mm. and an amazing person with an amazing way of sharing his story. Very amazing. Um, books out yeah. now, by the sounds of it. Books out now. Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of things. Obviously, you know, things have uh, expanded from the riots, and that you know, things were said that were done and actually weren't, um, and other things that were done. There's a lot of mythology about it, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, and I think Mark was good at yeah. you know, putting every, all that to rest and just giving us the bare facts. Absolutely, and yeah. I think that you know he spoke. To to pink news and he said you know categorically yes trans young people were there we're not going to have any of this writing them out of history they were part of the stonewall riots yeah. mm. along with young gay homeless youth yep. young squatters people like that people actually on, quite on the margins of the wider gay mm. scene because the organized gay groups of the time were a little bit conservative when it came to uh, yeah. riots and fighting back for mm. our uh, rights but yeah. can you imagine being at the grassroots of the gay liberation front yeah, what? Important. I mean, yeah. I, I think um, I think it took a lot of strength. Um, I, I think they must have felt, not that we don't now, but must have felt incredibly vulnerable as well. And mm. it was all um, such a, a big and powerful movement, but one that hadn't actually occurred in that way um, mm. before. So now, you know, when people are marching, um, we have some idea of what to expect to, to an extent. Mm. Whereas then. No, you know, they didn't know no, what was, they didn't know what, no. what was coming, and no. they didn't know who was going to respond. When, when we talked to Peter Satchel about the, the first yeah. Pride in London, Absolutely. he was like, yeah, we, we had yeah. no idea what to expect, and no. it was almost like. A, a policeman for every single That's person. What I remember marched. him saying yeah. that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, but of course, yeah. I mean, we should should remember as well that um, Stonewall wasn't the start of it. No, it, it, was, it was a massive catalyst. But um, there was a lot, of, were, a lot yeah. of campaigning and a lot of um, there were, stuff were going different on before. groups that existed right back to the end of the nineteenth century, and indeed further back. Some philosophers were were advocating for for gay emancipation. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes. Rather interesting. We could go into that yeah, some other time, but we're running short of time. I know, yeah, that's yeah, got to be yeah. one of the. That's genuinely one of the most packed shows I think we've done in, in, yeah, in years. Tight, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of shoehorning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or radio horning. Or in your case, just or horning. I only just got the reference. You mean those things, what you put your shoes on when, yeah, you, when, you're, old, when you're old and you're yeah. not bendy anymore? Yeah. When you're that's a shoe horning. Yeah. Careful, careful. Ooh, down. No, no. That was close. I've told you I need subtitles. Bit of ageism on the program. <laughs> oh, <creeping> in now, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> anyway, well, that's the program over. So uh, no more of that. But that's it for this week. Uh, remember, all our shows are available as podcasts on all good podcast services. Or if you don't use them, they are also available on our website. Catch up with all episodes of Shout Out You've Missed.